0: Morning, church. As I was um, hearing the the songs, I wanted to sing so bad, but I couldn't sing because of my voice. As you can hear, right? <laughs> Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? I sound like the Godfather. Come on, admit it. <laughs> and uh, uh, let me make you an offer. You can't refuse. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, uh, I, but I remember uh, I had the privilege of sitting at a seminar that Chris Tomlin and David Crowder were doing at a youth specialty convention some years ago. And they asked Chris Tomlin what his most worshipful moment was. And he talked about visiting one of the underground churches in China. And there, uh, at one point during the worship, one of the ladies said, let's sing a hymn. And they took out a bunch of hymnals and they opened them up And they began to sing, but not really. They were just mouthing the words. Because they could not be heard singing because this was an underground church. But they would sing Amazing Grace just by going. And you could hear it in your mind, he said. He said tears began to roll down his face. It was the most worshipful moment. And as I sat there and I'm listening to the song and I decided I'm just going to mouth the words. I can't sing. And uh, it reminded me of that moment. Before we start, what I'd like to do is invite all the children to come up for one second here. Come on up here. Pastor Fred, or I'm going to call him Uncle Fred for today, is going to give you something as a gift. So please come on up and get your gift from uh, Uncle Fred here. He's, uh, we're starting a new series called The Storyteller. And so you're getting a picture for you with with crayons, by the way. Do not chew the crayons. Do not throw the crayons away. But just have something that you can uh, be able to color this wonderful picture of Jesus telling stories to children. All right. Sorry, adults, there's not enough for everybody. I know, I know. Some of you guys are heartbroken. I will um, probably keep this talk to a minimum just because I don't want to completely lose my voice. I have to do a week of prayer for Walla Walla Academy next week, and I'm just like totally like, I can't believe this. This is not a good time to lose my voice, but here I am, and I was not going to miss this today, so I wanted to be with you. So if you're okay, we're just going to kind of keep this short, but we're going to have... a, a way to introduce this whole subject of the storyteller. I believe Jesus was the master storyteller. I don't think there was any storyteller be- better than Jesus. Amen. I wish I could have been there, just, just somewhere in the audience, to be able to hear him speak. Uh, but of course, we won't be able to hear that. In fact, I, I cannot wait to hear the voice of God. Wouldn't that be awesome? T- to hear him tell a story... But to hear him sing a song, can you imagine how cool that will be to hear the voice of God? So it was the year 2000, and I uh, ended up going with some friends of mine, pastor friends, to Toronto for my very first ever attended Seventh-day Adventist General Conference event. I'd never been the one. I didn't know what that was. I was like, okay, sure, let's go. And it's, uh, we went, there were four of us. We drove... Stopped at Niagara Falls, you know, we were having a good time. We even played some golf, you know. just We we were boys will be boys kind of thing, you know. We were just hanging out together, you know. No spouses, you know. We were just, yeah, her, you know, kind of a thing, you know. (laughs) And we had just been through a bunch of meetings, and uh, we wanted to, we just kind of wanted to watch like a macho movie. And just right about that time, this movie came out uh, called, uh, I don't know what that is. It's a great movie, though. What happened? Let's see. How are we doing back there, Brandon? (laughs) 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 So this movie here called, uh, no, I'm kidding. All right, so this was the movie, actually. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. (laughs) I love that. Oh, I don't mind Brandon saying that, but when his father says that while he's cutting my hair, then I'm a little concerned, just, just so you know. Oh, oh no, what happened? <laughs> so we wanted to watch this movie. anybody here seen The Gladiator? I, 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 I hate to confess this, but this is my all time favorite movie. And, uh, you know, the caption was The General Became a Slave. The slave who became a gladiator. The gladiator who defiled an emperor. You know, it was awesome, you know. And and during the movie, there were certain uh, uh, phrases that just stuck in our minds, you know. At the very beginning, when the Germanic tribes are attacking, and he sends a message, and they come back, you know, a little gruesome, you know. Obvious, because the children, I'm not going to say it, but you've been there, if you've seen the movie. But just from what... uh, Maximus says, he says, they say no. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're going to fight, you know. And then all of a sudden, he turns around and he says to his group of Roman soldiers, he says, on my command, unleash hell, you know. And so we, we in fact, till this day, till this day, when uh, I meet one of these four guys, Peter Smala, Paul Fisher, I can't remember Francisco's last name, but Francisco was there myself. Whenever I meet one of these guys, we, we, we always greet each other with strength and honor, <laughs> you know, because that was the, the greeting in the movie, you know, strength and honor. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Come on, strength and honor. Come on, let's do it, right? So so we were there, and, and, and then the movie was this powerful two-and-a-half-hour movie. Commodus, this guy in this movie, uh, the son of the emperor, ends up killing the emperor, and uh th- this 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 big thing happens where he becomes the emperor, but he really isn't but you know and he 's kind of evil, like many Roman emperors were and uh, Maximus gets blamed, and now he 's on the run, next thing you know he 's a gladiator, and he gets to fight Commodus in the arena and it 's a really powerful moment at one point he says, you know the time for honoring yourself is over, highness you know like that and then this big thing happens, you know, and then, and then the scene at the end when he is dying, and uh, as he is dying, he's got these memorable thoughts of his, of his wife and his child, uh, and this whole time there's this other kid involved who is the daughter of the sister of Commodus who's in danger because Commodus has been trying to kind of corrupt him, but because, because uh, Maximus was able to, to kill Commodus in the arena, Uh, he turns to uh, the sister and says, Lucius is safe. And then he dies. There was like a sudden attack of allergies in the room at that point. I looked over and all these guys are just kind of like going like this, you know, and crying. And One of the guys, Francisco, (laughs) runs to the bathroom. And we go out to meet him, and he comes out of the bathroom, and he looks at us and he goes, "Yes, yeah, I was crying. Okay, I was crying." We're like, "It's all right, man. We were all crying." You know, what is it about stories that make you cry? What is it about these things that are, they're just so powerful that that make you just totally cry? I'm gonna name some movies that men, I believe, are allowed to cry in. Is that okay? Because I cried at Adam. just so you know. Braveheart. Come on. All right, good. Uh, the Green Mile. Anybody seen The Green Mile? Come on, man. You, you, tell me you didn't cry. The Pursuit of Happiness. Anybody cry at that one? Uh, some of you guys are going, no, not me. Not me. Right, wait, hold on. Saving Private Ryan. Come on now. I don't care how macho you are, man. You had to cry at that one. Dead Poet Society. No? I'm hearing a lot of ladies saying things. The guys are like, no, not me, no. But I know. I know. Blood Diamond. Anybody seen Blood Diamond, that movie? Let me tell you, man, there's a spot there, man, that if you're not crying, you don't have a heart. Let me just say that right now. And then, of course, my, my favorite most, Toy Story 3, right? Come on, man, Right? Tell me, there is no way you could watch Toy Story 3 and not cry at that moment, right? Stories are so powerful. They've always, see, even children will tell you, right? They've always been powerful. They draw us in. You get lost in them. A good storyteller allows you to identify with the characters. These stories awaken emotions in us. They make us travel to places and time that we would never be, but most of all, they have the power to impact us, to change the trajectory of our lives. A great story can do that. Jesus was a master at this. Jesus was a master storyteller. We say a lot of things about Jesus, but what we don't realize is what an amazing genius he was when he came to telling stories. In fact, there are people who don't believe in Jesus as the Son of God. There are Jewish scholars that will say, you know what? Believe what you want about Jesus. But one thing that we know about Jesus was that he was a powerful storytelling rabbi. That's what they would say. Because the way he spun those stories, the way he created those stories, were just absolutely magnificent. There's a verse in the Bible that says Jesus always used story. How often? Always. always. And illustrations. Like these who, when speaking to the crowd, in fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. Isn't that amazing? So how is it that we don't think of those parables than, more than just stories? But if Jesus was using this tool, in such a way, to the point where the gospel writer says, look, this is just the way he taught. How could we not look at these stories and say, you know, what can we glean from them? What can we get from them? What is Jesus trying to tell us through them? I want to tell you right now, in the next few weeks and months, we're going to go through some of the most famous stories. And hopefully we're going to be able to Give you a fresh perspective on them. But more than anything else, we're hoping that somehow as we go through these stories, you will be able to connect with them. And you'll be able to hear what Jesus really wanted to say to us. Jesus was a master at crafting stories from everyday imagery. Imagery from the place where he came from. Imagery from where he was living. Imagery from where he grew up. Why? Because that's what Jesus was all about. Jesus was all about leaving heaven to come and identify with us so that he can then get us to the point where we are identifying with him so much so that he can then take us to heaven. Make sense? And that's the whole point here. He connected them, these everyday imageries, to kingdom principles. He would place a beautiful lily in the hand of a child. And then he would say, consider the lilies of the field. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor looked like this. And then he would say, how much more? Would God love you than this lily? Why do you worry so much? And he would just, he would do these little things all the time, over and over again, to to make these these points that were so heavy on the people's hearts. If there was one thing that people needed during that time, it was hope. And Jesus knew how to give hope through these stories. He would use parables to teach the unknown through the known. Through stories, he would remove anything that would obscure truth. He knew how to do that, and he knew that stories often were not threatening because he wasn't really speaking about them, was he? Jesus lived in a storytelling world. I think if he lived today, I think Jesus would be producing movies. I don't know. I could be wrong. But Jesus lived in a world where, like in the Greco-Roman society... In education, the stories of Homer's Iliad were memorized, they were recited. Philosophies of philosophers like stories from like Socrates and Plato and Aesop, they were told over and over and over again. People were very familiar with the idea of telling stories and using that as a way to make some whether it was political, whether it was religious, or whether it just was entertainment. In fact, professional storytellers would be hired to entertain after dinner, parties, and other special events. They would just go around. This was just like a big thing. Today, we go home and watch TV. But back then, there was no TV. Back then, there was no telephone. There was no internet. Back then, the only way to get good entertainment besides Something that was not kosher would be to listen to a great storyteller. And Jesus maximized this gift. Isn't that awesome? I mean, if you think about it, Jesus, he was no exception at being able to, in fact, he was an exceptional storyteller. Jesus could enter a Galilean village, and within hours, he would find himself encircled by large audiences of every age, of every gender. And he would somehow, in every way possible, be able to keep them there, totally spellbound. He knew how to awaken inquiry. He would tell stories in such a way that people would want to know more. He knew how to arouse the careless, people that didn't care. He he could tell that a story would do that. He knew how to impress hearts. He knew how to inspire actions. He was a rabbi that spoke their language, understood their pain, identified with their frustrations of political and religious corruption. He skillfully picked up images that surrounded them every day and spun them into examples of timeless universal truths. He would tell tales of shepherds and farmers and Fishing and baking and laborers and treasure hunters and fathers and sons. I mean he just he just chose whatever he could to help people. And I believe that every story had to do with somebody in that audience. Not necessarily it was about them, but they could relate to it. Maybe there was a father and a son when Jesus told the story of the of, of the parable of the of the prodigal son. You know, maybe there was a poor person when Jesus told the story of the lost coin. Jesus knew how to just capture those moments and turn them into defining moments. Jesus was a master at using humor and puns, as we will see in the next few weeks and months. He had this way of of doing these ridiculous comparisons. On one occasion, Jesus criticized the religious leaders. And he pointed out that they were overlooking vital spiritual matters, but debated minutiae of religious rhetoric. And he uses these words. Some of you would remember this. He says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Remember this? Well, in Aramaic, this is brilliant. Because the word for gnat is galma, and the word for camel is gamla. So just by changing one letter in each word, he was able to rivet this phrase inside their minds. They would get this because they knew that this was almost the exact same words. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, you strain out a galma, but swallow a gamla. And imagine there being in that audience, being hit by the humor of some religious leader trying to swallow a camel <laughs> or trying to take a gnat out of the middle of the teeth, right? Audiences were thrilled, inspired. They were stunned. They were enraged. Successful speakers, either the, the people knew them, either the audience carried them out on their shoulders with cheers or they plot to figure out how they can throw him off a cliff. I think Jesus was a successful speaker, wasn't he? A great storyteller, because they were constantly trying to figure out, how do we kill this guy? But I think most importantly, Jesus knew how to weaponize parables. better than anybody else could. Jesus' parables were not obvious in this traditional sense. They were not about the preservation of tradition, but actually the construction of it. This is why they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Jesus' teaching went upstream against the tide of the norm. He took a traditional form of communication, ingeniously turned it around and used it against the tradition. And I wonder, I wonder what attitude or perspectives with the modern church do you think Jesus would confront today? What story what he tell us today? Because Jesus wanted to adjust people's thinking. He tucked meaning under things that were out of place, that were ridiculous, contrary to common practice, in conflict with routine and tradition. What stories would Jesus use today? Would he talk about the tyranny of technology? Or perhaps the incessant oppression of the addiction to routine and life in autopilot? What would he say about church? One of the things that made me fall in love with Nancy was that when she was in college, she had this picture. It was a painting. And it was a picture of this preacher up front Preaching. And you could see it from the back. And you can see that Jesus is sitting in the front pew asleep. I love that. So I asked her to marry me. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, at some point we gotta think about that, right? What would Jesus say to us today? Would he be sleeping? Would he be excited? Today, more than ever, we must rely on the genius of story. Many of you know that I do a lot of leadership training, and uh, I, I talk about this book by a guy by the name of Daniel Pink. And Daniel Pink talks about these six aptitudes, six aptitudes that are essential if we're going to live in today's conceptual age. He says, this age is different than any age before. Now, I won't go through all six aptitudes, but I want to go through this one aptitude because I think it's very interesting in in the context of what we're talking about. And this is what he says. Uh, One of the six uh, attributes is not just argument, but also story. And this is what he says. When our lives are brimming with information and data, it's not enough to marshal an effective argument. Someone somewhere will inevitably track down a counterpoint to rebut your point. The essence of persuasion, communication, and self-understanding has become the ability also to fashion a compelling narrative. So what he is saying is, look, as a church, think about this as a church, we no longer can sit there and make an argument and do like text-by-text proof ways of trying to figure out what our doctrines are. I mean it's not it's not like you don't do that it's important. I'm not saying it's not important, but what he's is saying is if we're going to reach people today, we must do it through the power of story. We must do it through the power of being able to fashion a narrative. And I can tell you one thing for sure. You are Jesus story. when I thought about that, that I am part of Jesus' story, I couldn't help but ask myself, what would Jesus tell about me? What would he say about me? What story do I have to say? As we go through these parables in the next few weeks, I pray that we would come to the point where we recognize the power of story. That as we try to do the best we can to logically explain some things, just know that that's just not going to work anymore. We live in a world that is filled and bombarded with all kinds of data, all kinds of information. And, and it gets, you know, you get overloaded. You know what I'm talking about? And at the end of the day, all of that is fine. But what matters most, more than anything else, is your story. Is the parables that you will tell. And as we go through Jesus' parables, let's pick up on what he does. Let's pick up on his genius. Let's figure out ways that maybe can help us shape our story in a way that would be a blessing to others. Stories that can hold attention. Stories that stir our emotions. Stories that help us remember. Stories that would even make us cry from time to time. Stories that can make us laugh. When I was a teacher, first and second grade, we would do this thing, we would go to this little corner in the, in the room. We called it the worship corner. We had kind of closed it in. We would all sit down on these pillows. And we would, you know, have prayer and talk about Jesus. But one thing I would always do, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry I don't do this anymore because I love doing this, but I would, have, I would say, you know, okay, uh, Raymond, it's your turn now. You start the story and I'll finish it. And so, you know, Raymond would be like, It was dark and we were in the woods and suddenly we heard a sound. Go ahead, Pastor Menente. (laughs) I'm like, oh, okay, it's my turn now. And I would have to finish this story. And sometimes we would play it so that like everyone would add another sentence to it. And it got to the point where if we ever missed a day, they got upset. They were like, come on, what about our story time?" What about our story time? The most wonderful thing about Jesus is that he not only told those stories he lived those stories. He was such a great storyteller that they would send people to try to trip him. And then they would go back and say man we couldn't trip him. Why not? Because nobody spoke like this guy before. Well, What do you mean? Well, nobody ever spoke like this guy before because nobody ever lived like this guy before. And the most impactful story that he ever told was that day on the cross. And without saying too many words, he hung there and said, I love you. God is love. Are you getting this story? Are you understanding? Are you sure? In the agony-filled imagery, Jesus pulls out the greatest weapon of all, faith, hope, and love. So as we spend time going through these stories, may we see and experience faith, hope, and love. Amen.